Welcome to Wealth Well Done. Together, we'll cover a wide range of important topics surrounding money and the impact it has on our lives. From the sophisticated and highly valuable planning techniques of the ultra-wealthy to the commonly underutilized biblical teachings. Together, we'll work to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well. Here's your host, Eric Scoville. Hi, welcome to the 47th episode of the Wealth Well Done podcast, where we lean into the tactical, the practical, and the spiritual advice to help you do your wealth well done. Last week, we had Gary Harpston. He's the author of a book called Built to Beat Chaos. He um, helped us understand more of, of just what it is as, as we see how life continues to throw curveballs at us and the challenges that we face. Um, it seems like we're just trying to to get this one last thing sorted out, then things will be better. And he just helped us understand how that's this is God-ordained in so many ways. And not to say everything that goes wrong is from God, uh, definitely not saying that at all, but uh, but also understanding that that uh, when we're made in the image of God, um, the chaos that he brought order to in the very beginning uh, is, is similar to what we're supposed to do today. So that was a, <clears throat> those were a couple insightful interviews the last couple of weeks. And this week, we're going to um, switch gears and talk more about selling business. And so we're going to talk about some of the less common points in there. Uh, this is not meant to be an exhaustive study around selling a business, but more so for someone who is in the process of doing that or, or contemplating that, I assume that you've already done a significant amount of research yourself. And these are just some other points to uh, help round out your study and your preparation. The uh, Exit Planning Institute had uh, done a study that we'll, we'll cite a, a handful of times through throughout uh, this episode here. Um, but according to the research there, only two out of 10 businesses will ever sell. Um, 80% of the businesses uh, in the marketplace will not. And so what we want to do is I want to start, go through um, a few different ways to look at this. One on should you sell, what happens, um, before you sell, and then also what life is like on the other side of the sale. So when talking about should you sell, there's a few different uh, reasons that someone would want to do this. And a big one is taking risk off the table. Um, 90% of a business owner, on average, 90% of a business owner's net worth is tied up in their business. And so as a financial advisor, we typically have a rule that says you shouldn't have more than 3% of someone's portfolio into a single stock. Now, when we're talking about that stock, we are talking about a um, one company that's you know listed, say listed on the S and P five hundred uh, here in Peoria. That is typically you're talking about Caterpillar. You've got a lot of people here who have Caterpillar stock. Caterpillar did sixty seven billion dollars in revenue uh, in twenty twenty three, and so if you have a company that did ten, twenty, fifty million dollars in revenue, that is to describe the risk difference between your company. Um, and Caterpillar is, is you know, it's nearly inconceivable just how much more risky uh, your company is than investing in Caterpillar. And let yeah, we would say we wouldn't want someone to hold more than 3% of their assets into a company like Caterpillar. And so um, from that standpoint, to recognize the amount of risk that's in your portfolio, um, that's, a, that's a great reason that someone would want to um, sell their business. And we're going to come back to this a little bit more, but not to say that just because there's risk, it doesn't mean it's bad. Uh, Cal Rickner, who's been on here before, is often 
uh, talks about that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And so being willing to take a risk, uh, if that's what you feel like God is leading. Um, so, so please don't hear me say that and say that you're too risky and you've got to sell. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get into a couple more of these here. Um, succession plan. It might just be that you're aging out. You can't run as hard as you used to. Um, you're not serving the employees that are under your um, direction and care as you did when you were um, when you were running full steam ahead, and so maybe that's a maybe that's a good reason for you to get out there. Often, um, from a selfless standpoint, it, the timing might just be right to for you to step aside. Um, and along those same lines, is acknowledging if the business needs someone else to take it to the next level. The you know gr- growing a business from scratch and taking it to a million dollars in revenue uh, is is one thing, but taking it to ten million dollars is is another. Uh, However, taking to $100 million is, is such a far cry from, from those first two options there that that's often not the same CEO. And so if you being the founder are the CEO, when you took it, when you start from scratch, you built it from you know, nothing to $10 million in revenue, you might not be the right person to take it to $100 million. Um, not that it has to get to $100 million, not that you um, can't be the right person for that, but... Um, just also important to understand when the right time is to step away. There's a lot of CEOs, CFOs who really find their niche where they're really good at going from 1 million to 10 million. Once they get there, they step aside and they go to the next company or, uh, you know, vice versa. They're looking for a company that's, you know, at 10 million or a hundred million that's trying to go public. And so, um, finding that right niche there where you have an expertise is a little bit outside the box, um, but actually allows people to, to really develop strength there in the specific type of growth that's needed for that phase in the business. Uh, another one to think about is just knowing when, when the time is right for you, when, when your time is right. And this often is going to come into the idea of, of the cost on your time. If the cost on your time is too great, it might be uh, family. You've got, you've got kids who are at an age where they're going to be leaving the house before too long. And you want to make sure you enjoy those last uh, those last few years with them while, you know, while they're still under your roof, under your direction, kind of under your control a little bit more um, to make sure you build the right foundation side of them. Um, and so, so that can be important. People also often uh, re- you know, cite their health as a reason that they would want to sell the business because the demand is just too much on the, the stress that it's creating for them. The amount of hours that they have to put into running the business um, takes away from their ability to, uh, to take good care of their health, and so from that standpoint, that's another that's another key reason that people would um, decide to step away. I would also challenge that if the business is interfering too much with your time with the Lord. Um, I was just reading in Bob Sorge's book, Secrets of the Secret Place. If you if you've never read that book, it's not a it's not an extremely popular book, so you know, strong likelihood you haven't. But I, I would highly recommend it. It has been a um, just an absolute treasure to me as I have grown in my uh, time with the Lord, growing in my um, just understanding and my seeking intimacy with Jesus. And so that book has been incredible. Uh, but this morning I was reading about uh, basically the concept of keeping the first commandment first. And we talk about the first commandment, the, you know, the great commandment that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Um, and from that standpoint, the amount of time that you're pouring into the business, it's not that you're you're probably not going to be equally weighted between time in the business and time with the Lord. 
uh, any, any quiet time. But if you uh, if you're finding that you don't have time at all to spend with the Lord with this, or you're you're giving Him ten minutes a day because your business is just demanding so much of you, then at that point, I would argue that maybe you should contemplate and maybe ask Him if if you would be better off stepping away from that. Um, in the book, Bob Sorge talks about the idea that you know, people don't want to, uh, or they get caught up in even the addictive, um, the addictive rush of their ministry. And so it could be something that's godly is running the ministry, but even still with that, you know, that they're focused on the second commandment, you know, love your neighbor and neighbor and to, to serve others. Um, if they're more focused on that than they are with the intimacy with Jesus, with the, their time with the Lord, then even that needs to be corrected. And so from that standpoint, um, I would argue that the cost of your time um, as it impacts your time with the Lord should be the probably the one of the biggest factors here as well. And it's, again, something you can't run a business and, and have a relationship with God, but it's something that you should probably take to Him and ask Him to help you with this and ask Him for clarity. The Last one, it seems a little bit more obvious, and that might be are you trying to capture a big payday? And nothing nothing wrong with that at all here. Um, especially and so this one's a little bit more valuation dependent. Um, because you know, nine figure payday is hard to pass up or a ten figure, even you know, in the and I, I don't want to judge someone else's situation here to say, you know, is ten million a huge number or uh, or not worth it. Um and that's not the place for this here. And let's just go ahead and say right now that uh, anything that we're doing here, this is not to be construed as financial advice for you. And I would recommend that you talk to your own financial advisor, uh, your financial advisory team, to make sure that what we're talking about here is uh, something that's right for you. That being said, um, just some, some different things to consider when you think about, you know, you see the, the big price tag, the big potential price tag, you know, I'm going to pay $20 million for this business. And can you imagine if I had $20 million, that would take away all my problems? Um, first of all, that's definitely not the case. Ask someone who has $20 million and they will tell you they still have plenty of problems. Um, okay, so here, here's one to consider here. If you have built a, a cash flow engine, uh, you've built a business that, that does well here, and you're able to produce a pretty consistent income off of that, and you're going to trade that in for a lump sum, then that you are going to want to go and create a, you know, a, um, a cash flow engine um, that's on the passive side, it might not be as attractive as you'd think. And so not factoring in the cost of your labor and the amount of time and effort that you put into the business um, here. But if you, if you have, let's say that you said, example, you sold your business for $20 million and that business was able to generate for you, uh, you know, let's say you, you got a, a 10x multiple on your on your net income there, so that business was generating you two million dollars a year of income. And now, for you to try and go turn that twenty million dollars into two ten two, excuse, for you to try to go turn that twenty million dollars into two million dollars of um, annual income from investments is not as simple as you might think. And so, from that standpoint, you've got to go vet new opportunities. You've got to sift through who's telling you the truth. You have to understand um, a whole lot more about risk and return ratios. And you've got to, you're going to have to go take risk in areas that that uh, you're not necessarily trained as an expert in versus running a business where you are an expert. 
you know, they, they often cite the idea that when you get your 10,000 hours in. And so uh, to a business owner, to an entrepreneur who's had this business for, you know, depending on the amount of decades you've had this business, you might have the 10,000 hours five to 10 times over. And so you are an expert of experts when it comes to, um, to your business. Whereas when you trade that in, uh, you know, just, I guess, consider how much, how interested you are in your, in the work that your financial advisors do and how much, um, do you understand the investment selection that you have, why you're in the allocations that you're in, uh, especially at that point, you start looking at more private, uh, private placements and direct investments. And so, you know, inside that type of net worth, we're, we're typically using real estate um, as a means to produce this passive income. We're using royalties. And so if you, if, if that stuff is fairly foreign to you, um, you don't know how to vet out a real estate deal or, or you don't know much about oil drilling, well, you just figure you're going to step into a new learning curve there. Potentially, you don't have to. Um, but if you're trying to produce uh, an, an income stream that's got you know, tax advantage um, similar ways that you have in your business, um, you're going to likely want to step into some of those alternative assets. And so, w- with that, then you just you're realizing that the the setup that you have before of this business that you were an expert in might be better off with you bringing in some managers to to run this without you, rather than you stepping into a um, uh, just a truly passive form of income in terms of investments where you are you've left all the area of expertise that you had before. One other fun thing that you're likely going to get into is you're going to get to find out how good the financial team is around you. Um, (laughs) I can promise you that if you sell your business for $20 million, you will find out who wants to sell you an annuity. You're going to find out who wants to sell you a permanent life insurance product. Um, You know, who wants to go and manage all of those assets for you, that $20 million and move that into their uh, brokerage account. Um, you're also going to find out every friend who has a friend who has a you know, really great business opportunity for you. And, um, and so just understand that, that with, this, um, with the sale of this business comes, comes other, other issues too. Um, there's a really great book on the dilemmas that wealthy, uh, wealthy families face, especially wealthy Christian families. And it's by Jay Link. Um, Jay is a guy that we had on podcast uh, maybe back in the in the you know, 16, 17 range, um, somewhere around that episode. But uh, he has a book called To Whom Much Is Given. And uh, in this, he walks through some of the, I guess, the, the 10, 10 life dilemmas that wealthy uh, Christian families face. And, and it's just, again, you, you, you don't might not have a problem anymore of how to to feed the family or not have the stress of is the income going to turn off um, tomorrow if we lose a big client, but you're just trading in one set of issues for another with us. And it's just important to understand here. Um, but even more important than that is understand that we're stewards. They're God's assets. They, they belong to him. Your business belongs to him. And, and so anything that you're doing here should be, um, pursued under the counsel of the Lord and what he's directing you to do. Okay. Next, we want to talk a little bit about what would life look like if you did so? And we, we won't go too deep into this one here, but the, um, again, that exit plan Institute had a, on their study. One of the things they talked about was uh, of the, you know, the, that 20% of businesses that do manage to, to transfer or to sell 
75% of those owners and the boards they use here profoundly regret selling within uh, one year of the transaction. So 75% of the people who sell doesn't say how much the price tag they got on this, but they profoundly regret selling. And, and when you think about that, um, it's just important to go back. You know, Some of them are now finding themselves swimming and trying to become a tax expert and a legal expert and an investment expert because they have found out that their financial team wasn't necessarily as qualified as they thought. Um, certainly an issue we run into fairly often with people who have sold a business and then come to us and realize how much money was left on the table because their team that presented themselves as tax experts uh, really did not help them at all there. We're going to talk about that a little bit uh, pretty soon here as well. Um, so, so there's that side of it where they, they find themselves, you know, back to a, a level of ignorance that they hadn't known in a long time. Um, the other piece of this is, well, what will you do with your time? So when you do sell, and it's kind of similar to retirement, but what will you do with your time? And if you no longer have the, uh, if you no longer have a purpose in life, then this becomes a big problem. So uh, where will you find your value? Another one. Over, my guess is over half of your conversations with people outside of your family revolve around your business. And so all of a sudden now, if you've sold the business, people might talk about that up front, but you know, that starts to talk about money and then that's not a you know, topic we like discussing too much. Uh, you know, how much you sell your business for, what are you doing with all your money now? Um, so from that standpoint, and even if you have those conversations, those wear off sooner. So you just have to understand that your identity is going to be challenged here. What will you do with your, what will your new identity be? Uh, I dealt with this myself when I was, hockey had been my whole life. It was everything to me. It was everything that people knew about me. I would move away during the hockey season when I come home. All that people uh, do to talk to me about was hockey. When I, you know, when I was in this new place, um, all I, you know, people knew that I wasn't from there. And so they, we talked about hockey. It's just hockey was every part of every conversation. And when all of a sudden my senior year of college, when that got taken from me, I went through an identity crisis. I didn't know who I was anymore because I had never been just a normal, a normal student. Um, the, and the, the, the obvious answer here is, is your identity has to be in Christ. And, and so sometimes selling the business may really help someone. Um, it might not be pretty. They might have to go through some uncomfortable work, but it might help someone uh, work through that, work through the pride issues that they had and work through the identity issues that were wrapped up in a business rather than wrapped up in, in their identity as a child of God's. Um, there's a really good book that uh, Bob Buford wrote called Halftime, and I'd recommend that one for anyone who is contemplating selling the business as well. Just to to put it into a different perspective here, what you're supposed to be doing with the the assets that the Lord has given you. Okay, now we're going to talk a little bit more about um, before you sell the the importance of finding the right partner to help prepare you for the sale. Uh, we've had generational equity on here before, um, but you could whether it's them or any other broker, you know, some someone who is skilled in the sale of businesses um, who can help you understand what it is that a uh, buyer might be looking for and, and how to value your business. Um, the average commission in the industry is, is ranges between eight and 12% on, 
on the smaller businesses, that starts that starts going down when you hit five million dollars and up on a, on a purchase price. But for those smaller businesses, you can plan to, plan to pay at least you know eight to twelve percent there. The um, one of the important things is the business can't be about you, and so that's so often the case with um, with a lot of small businesses, especially in the service industry. And the business can't be about you anymore if you're going to sell because without you there, then then what what's left over? So what you really need to do is make sure you built a machine that runs well without you. That there's value for a potential acquirer, but. Um, not just in having all of the value represented in, in Jim's, you know, Jim's great reputation doesn't work that way. Um, your financial reporting and metrics need to change. They, you have to really start thinking through what does a buyer want to see? So you have to look at everything in your business through a different lens. There's no longer the, well, that's just the way it is. Um, or you can't, you can't cut yourself slack in a lot of places here. Uh, a buyer is not looking to find a break-even business. They're, a, they're looking for reoccurring revenue. They're looking for a low accounts receivable. They're looking for um, contracts in place. So the handshake deals are, are not what they're looking for, especially if that handshake is with with Jim and Jim's no longer there. Well, how valid is that is that uh, relationship at this point here? Um, another thing that they're looking for is an intangible here, are good, hungry managers that you have, um, the leaders inside your organization that will likely run the business when you're gone. That's a huge piece of, of what uh, someone buying the business is going to be looking for. And, you know, there are other components of the business that while they're important, they're um, likely something that the acquirer is is planning to um, fix and drive change in themselves. Healthy margins is one that's a little bit in the gray area where you want healthy margins to show that it's a strong business, a profitable business. Um, but that's also one that uh, someone looking to buy your business may think that they have a uh, distinct advantage that they can use to to drive that up. So um, that one is important, but but kind of gray. And there are other there are other components of the business. You know your your uh, supplier contracts and other things like that that maybe aren't as important unless you have a real distinct advantage there. Another thing to think about when you're when you're looking through the lens of a buyer is that you may have built your business for impact in the community, but your buyer, you know, probably has, you know, that's probably not what's on their, on their mind there. So um, while that's highly commendable, just be aware that that's probably not something that your buyer is interested in. And so um, changing ownership may have a negative impact on the community, depending on what, what involvement you have had with that in the past. Uh, Common understanding or common saying in in the industry is that one buyer is no buyer. So if you have someone who's, you know, come to you and solicited you and said, Hey, I'm interested in buying your business. While that certainly can pan out, on average, that doesn't. That is a that's a ploy that is used um, by people looking to really uh, expose everything going on about you, drag you through a long, drawn out process, and eventually uh, beat you down and, and get you to take you know take a much lower price than what your business was actually worth. So the goal then, and this goes back to the broker or whoever's helping you get your business ready to sell, uh, but the goal is to create something that can go to market and encourage uh, other bidders to come in and, and you know, produce some buying pressure there. A uh, typical roadblock to that is owners who don't want to tell their staff um, or their competition that they're considering selling. And there's understandable reasons for that. Um, but the reality is it's typically good news for staff when you're looking to sell. Um, often the person, person coming in has 
is well capitalized. And so they're likely going to have higher wages. They're probably going to have better processes and more professionalism. Um, that might be a negative for some people who just want things to stay the way they always were. That's likely not going to be the case. Um, but for young, hungry people who uh, who are willing to put the effort in and, and try to go drive forward change, they're likely to be compensated better through a, a different partner than they could be through you. The other side of this, though, is for your competitors. Hearing that you're looking to sell is typically bad news. You often, you often think that these things would be reversed here, but, but for the competition, um, this is typically bad news because the buyer is likely going to have economies of scale, which allow them to perform at a higher level um, and allow them to have more competitive pricing than you did. Um, they are going to be more attractive to the labor force in the area. They have more marketing and more brand awareness, most likely. Uh, and they also, you know, probably bring a higher level of expertise, you know, especially if these if this a national firm or regional firm, they're going to have a just higher quality um, team the, on the management side that's going to bring more to the table there. The Exit Planning Institute study here um, pointed out that 30% of families make it, excuse me, 30% of family businesses make it to generation two, and only 12% of family businesses make it to generation three. And so this would be a good spot to segue into taxes. Taxes is not the only reason that that happens. There's all sorts of other issues inside family businesses. And there are a lot of great colleges out, out there that have family business um, uh, networks and or even family business institutes that, that really help you understand more of what the dynamics are inside a family business, how to navigate those, especially the one of the hardest ones is the intergenerational uh, issues. And so, so that's a, that's a key component of this, but I want to focus the rest of our time here today on taxes. And so inside, when you, when you look at why a business may not uh, survive the next generation, if it's a successful business that's built up um, substantial value, taxes could be a real big piece of that. And, um, and this is, this is especially the case in an illiquid business um, where uh, a sale it's going to be forced just to pay the estate tax. And so think of a farm. A farm is definitely in this case here where if you've got, you know, if you've got 5,000 acres of farm ground and that's $50 million, um, well, then that creates a substantial estate tax and you try to hand that down to your children. And how do you pay for that? So there are different tools that, that people use to, to help in these situations. Um, one could be a, you know, forming a family limited partnership, in which case you're able to, reduce the valuation of the business because um, certain people may not have uh, access to voting rights on it or access to liquidity. And so even if the, if the business you know, has assets that are worth 50 million, those shares of that family limited partnership aren't going to be worth 50 million to, to the uh, holders of that necessarily, depending on how you set that up. So there are ways to do that. There are other tools that allow you to basically move assets um, into a trust so you can freeze the valuation. And one of the, I'm going to walk through an example of one here um, that, that I've seen how that would work here for a couple of clients recently. And that's moving the business into a charitable trust prior to the sale. Um, and this, this can be <laughs> massively impactful here, but there's, there's, so, there's so many nuances that, that need to be understood with this. So again, make sure that you're not taking this and, and just automatically applying this to your situation. But uh, talk to you, talk to your team. If you need to reach out to us for more information, happy to happy to you know, have a conversation with you about that as well. Um, 
But so one example here would be a charitable remainder trust or CRT. And you need to understand there are a handful of different types of charitable remainder trusts. There's a unit trust, there's a annuity trust, there is a um, flip trust and a uh, what they call NIMCRUT as well. And so with these here, there, there are uh, specific situations that might work better for um, for uh, someone's assets. But in general here, how that one could work is you can move the business into this CRT, charitable remainder trust. You can move the business into that CRT before the sale. Then the CRT pays no taxes on the sale of the business. It's, this is a charitable entity. Charitable entities not pay taxes here. Um, so on the gain of the sale, there's no taxes owed. And then from that, you're able to take a lifetime uh, income stream off of this off of the assets here. And then upon your passing, if this is how you set it up, the remainder goes to charity um, at that point. And there's other ways to do this. You can set it up on someone else's. Um, you can have it on you and your spouse. You can have it on your children. You can, there's a number of different ways to, to do this here to select the beneficiary of that trust. Um, but so that, that's high level here. You move the assets into the trust. The trust sells the business. The trust pays no taxes. The trust pays you income off of that. For life, and then the remainder goes to charity upon your passing. You're the trustee for this. If you want to be, you can be a trustee. Um, you can invest in almost anything you want here. And if you set it up in the way that is, um, you get a percentage of the trust assets every year. Then, as you drive up the uh, the net worth of the trust because of your investment selection, then the percentage of assets that you receive annually from that income stream just continue to go up. The you have the right to choose, and depending on which of these variations that we talked about here, you've got the right to choose when to start that income stream or or when to uh, take an income. You know, I've got some people who are looking to sell their business, but they still have a million dollars a year of income outside of that. And so they don't want the assets right now, but they're going to have this trust basically rack up an accumulated amount of assets that it owes to, um, to this person. But then when they're ready, they... They can turn on basically like a spigot feature. They can turn it on and collect all those assets that were owed to them from before. Um, the, the another great thing about this is that the investments that you make, you know, in the trust stay tax free. As in, you know, you, you sell the business, but you go and invest into other stuff, and all of those new assets continue to also uh, grow tax free. If you buy and sell, buy and sell, all of that is continuing to be without taxes there. And so with that, then um, you, you're, able to, you're able to see a compound effect of the, of the growth there without taxes. And we're going to walk through an example here in just a second. Another noteworthy piece of this is the sizable charitable deduction that you also receive as well. So just walk through one example here. If you have a, if you sell a business for $10 million and I'm going to talk about using the effective tax rate of 35%. Um, why we're choosing that is the long-term capital gains on a business. And so when you sell a business, some of the assets may be considered long-term capital gains. Some of the business assets may be considered uh, active income. And so that is part of the negotiation process, which your uh, CPA and your business broker will hopefully help you uh, navigate. But so I'm just using, I'm using 35% as this combined uh, effective rate, meaning a blend between the long-term capital gains rate of for someone here would be 20%, 20% 20 
Um, and then the active income here would they be treated at 37%. Uh, in Illinois here, we have a state tax of 5% on that as well. So that's why I'm using 35% here for easy math. Uh, but basically, if you have an asset that's worth $10 million, you move that into the trust. The trust sells it for $10 million and keeps all $10 million. And let's say you've said that you're going to have a 5% uh, annual income stream out of that. Well, 5% of $10 million is $500,000. And so that $500,000 know, would be owed to you the rest of your life there, so long as the assets in the trust stay at $10 million and you were able to produce an income stream to, to supplement that. Whereas if you sold the business and paid the taxes on it, then you you know, a 35% tax rate on that would take the 10 million down to 6.5 million. And it's not like you can then say, okay, well, I'm just going to go produce more income here. That's not necessarily the case. So assuming that we're still talking about a 5% uh, income stream that you're pulling off of that, uh, that asset, that portfolio, then well, 5% of 6.5 million is down to $325,000. And so again, depending on the needs that you you know, that's inside your family, what your goal is here. Um, you, you, if you don't necessarily need the assets after you die and you're happy to hand them down or some of them down, then now here at that point, we can, we can go ahead and, you know, keep this larger income stream for you. Uh, and you just avoided taxes basically all together for the remainder of your life. The, and, and also then for, um, you know, upon your passing as well. On top of here, I mentioned that sizable charitable deduction that would come with this, and that it's, it's age-dependent, uh, as well as some other factors, is like what type of payout you're looking to take on this. So you're looking to figure out what the net present value of the of the charitable gift is based on the actuarial tables for how long you're supposed to live, what your life expectancy is. And so they're going to use that to determine what the, um, what the value of the charitable gift is as well here. And so... That might be a million dollars if you're pretty young um, or if you're older and closer to your life expectancy, that amount would be much closer to that $10 million. And so from that standpoint, um, that's a, it's just a gift or that's a, a bonus on top of the fact that all the remainder of those assets are going to be tax free. The, you know, if you've got a need to or desire to hand down assets to your heirs um, or you want to have a, a pool of assets to use at some later point, then you could also look at using a charitable lead trust. Um, you could do that separate, or you could do that in combination with the charitable remainder trust. That's a way that people can, can quite literally, they can hand down as much money as you want. If you want to hand down hundreds of millions of dollars or billion dollars, you can, you can do that estate tax free by, you know, using some of these strategies here. So, um, so from that standpoint, tons of details to figure out of what, what it is that you're really wanting and then the nuances of how your stuff is currently set up and 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 make sure that you find the right fit. But I uh, just want you to know that those those options are out there for you. If you want to talk more about that, please reach out. Um, last, you know, closing thoughts here, and this one is, I'm going to say is, is relatively incomplete, but life after the sale. Um, like, like, you know, and when you're, in these high net worth circles, they always talk about their liquidity event. And so life after the sale of your business here um, gets very important to find your purpose. The, you know, like we said earlier on, you know, 75% of sellers, you know, 
have this deep regret of selling their business. Um, it gets lonely. And what you once thought, you know, was just extreme relevance that you had or that the that there was just such a dependence on you. And when that proves to be otherwise and the business continues to go on without you, without, you know, un- go, undergoing some major hurdles and other stuff, it, it rocks people's... Um, it rocks people's confidence. It rocks their identity. It rocks the, the value that they find in themselves. Um, and so from that standpoint, it just becomes extremely important that you get close to the Lord, that you get intimate with him, that you are vulnerable with him as you under, as you share how you're feeling with this, because there's no one who sells a business that doesn't go through an emotional roller coaster on the other side of that. Um, so just want you to, if that's you, if you've already done that, or if you're, if you are preparing to go through that, I want you, or if you're getting ready to sell a business, I want you to be prepared for what lies ahead there because it, it's going to be challenging, but there's, there's nothing that the Lord can't get you through. You just have to know where to look and be prepared for it up front. So I hope that's helpful. Um, like I said, if you've got, if you've got more questions on that, just, just reach out to us uh, directly and go to our website, storehouseassets.com and, and leave a note and we can reach back out to you there. Um, and otherwise, I wish you the very best, especially if you are contemplating selling a business. I, I, I just hope that, that that is exactly what the Lord is, is leading you to and that his hand is, is on that process for you. Take care, guys. Thank you again for listening to Wealth Well Done. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And together, we'll continue to improve our relationship with money and our effectiveness in stewarding it well.